we're picking back up in Ruth chapter 3. And as you're turning there, just to build a little background, a few months have passed. Some, some time has passed since the end of chapter 2 and beginning into chapter 3. We've not only had the wheat harvest, but now we're coming into the end of the barley harvest. And in this time, Ruth and Boaz has been spending some time together in public, working together. They've had uh, time to watch each other, to get to know each other. And things are going to start to come to a head pretty quickly here. We're going to have some, some changes in the relationship. I want to remind you, though, <clears throat> that we're continuing to weave this rope, if you will, between the spiritual and the practical. So we're going to continue to look at practical applications for relationships, relationship building, family building, and then the spiritual application of how the book of Ruth is showing us our Boaz, our Redeemer, our Goel, Jesus Christ, and our personal relationship with him. And so we're going to see how to apply the spiritual to the practical and practically apply the spiritual. And then you're going to be just as convoluted as we all are because it all weaves together. In our minds, we sometimes we try and separate the two. So that somehow all the things that are practical are not spiritual and all the things that are spiritual are not practical. But nothing could be further than the truth. In fact, our Lord himself, Jesus, is the, is the ultimate example of becoming flesh, putting on flesh, being human, 100% human, and yet 100% God in the flesh. We, we see him as the ultimate example of where the spiritual, the multidimensional, the all-powerful, all-knowing God reveals himself in practical. He has flesh. We could touch him. We handled him, the Bible tells us. And so let's go into a word of prayer, and we're going to pick back up in chapter 3. Lord, we thank you so much that your word is so deep that as we glean from it, as we pick it, it it's, it's wheat, it's kernels, Lord, and apply it. It's the very bread of life that you claim to be, Lord. It, it continues to, to wash us, to mold us, to change us, to shape us, Lord. It reveals all things. And we thank you that as you lead us this morning, that you will lead us closer to yourself. We pray that you would reveal these things from Scripture to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's read the first two verses together. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So if we just read this casually and we don't understand some of its context, there's some weird things here. Like, what does Naomi mean when she says, get security for you. Shall I not seek security for you? Now, this word translated security is the same Hebrew word in Ruth chapter 1 verse 9 for rest. In Ruth 1 9, it says, the Lord grant you that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. Remember a few chapters ago when they had been separated Uh, Naomi told her daughters-in-law, just go back to your Moabite country, go back, go find another husband, build a new family, it's all over, nothing's coming back. And she told them, go and find rest in the house of her husband. Go go find security. So this this word that they're using here is coming back to chapter 3. Naomi's trying to tell Ruth, it's time for you to get a husband. It's time for you to establish a household. It's time for redemption. 
Remember that in that culture and in that time, everything is based on the family and the land, the promised land. And so the family had a way of restoration, of redemption, when a family member passed away, when there was no children. Because it was more important that the family be able to go back to the inheritance that God gave them. We have a completely different culture, completely different style of government here. And so it's hard for us to relate. But she's going to the law in her mind and she's saying, you know, Boaz, I know you've been hanging out with him for a while. I know you've been with his young women. I know you've been around. I know you've been at the field. He's been taking care of you. He's been feeding you all these months. He's been providing for us. Isn't it time you get married? Isn't it time we seal the deal here? Isn't it time that you find protection and security in a husband? Remember that as a widow and a Moabitess from another nation, she has no hope. She will just continue to pray that harvest to harvest, they scrape together enough that they can survive. Remember also that this is the time of the judges where every man does what is right in their own eyes. You know, there's, there's no guarantee that she's going to find any protection at all. And so we see these things, we see this context, and then we find this discussion now as we pick up in verses 3 through 5. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. So mother-in-law and daughter-in-law, they're chatting it up. They're making a strategy here. All right, this is how you're going to, in so many words, this is how you're going to ask him to marry you. That's right. This is how you, the lady, are going to ask him to marry you. Now, we're going to see this coming up later. Now, there's a lot of this that seems super strange, and we're going to identify a little bit, explain a little bit of the culture here. But there's a lot that makes a lot of sense even today. Hey, you want to go impress this guy? Go wash. Go get your best clothes on. Go anoint yourself. Put a little perfume on. That's just smart. Nothing new under the sun, the Bible says. Let's just keep with the same solid advice here. But what is the, what the importance here of this winnowing floor? What are they talking about? This end of the barley harvest. What's going on here? Now, Boaz is in this top of this hill where all of the barley has been brought together. And what they did is they would put it all on the floor, all of it just shaken out. They tried to get as much of the stems, the stock out as possible. And then they would have a sled, a big, heavy wood sled, and it would be dragged around by a donkey, and they would drag that thing around over and over again, and it's grinding the wheat, grinding the barley, and it's separating the chaff from the heads of the barley, from the barley or the wheat, depending on what harvest it is. And what they would do is at night, a wind would come through. And so they'd wake up, and they'd have these big canvases or these, these big um, cloths of some kind, and they would throw the wheat or the barley up in the air. The wind would come and blow all the chaff away, and then the heavy grains would fall back down. And they would do this all night long. The other reason that they would stay there is they had to protect it because you've worked months and months and months praying for rain. The Lord brings the rain. It grows up. They harvest it. There's a tremendous amount of money invested in this. 
You know, have you ever in business, I know I have, they ask you in the interview as a manager, they say, how often do you pay? You know, for, for the company I work in right now, they pay once a week. And they'll be like, oh, that's great. Where I'm from, they used to pay twice a month. Or uh, if you work for the federal government, they pay you, what is it, once a month? Or whatever it may be. Imagine you get paid twice a year, and if they take that paycheck, you're done. Imagine the tension of protecting that. You know, today we talk about um, cybersecurity. Imagine that the thieves could just go in and rob your direct payment. They could go in there and they can hack, and you're like, well, they can do that. Yeah, I know. See, nothing's new under the sun. (laughs) So they would sit there and they'd camp it all night long. In fact, this is going to happen a century later with David himself. In 1 Samuel chapter 23, in verse 1, it says, And they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Kayla, and they are robbing the threshing floors. That's what they're talking about. They would come in and they would steal these harvests. Nothing new under the sun. And so this is a super important area. This is going to be important as we build context because, remember, Ruth is going to sneak in there at night to go talk to him. He's got his blade, and he's ready for war. He's there trying to protect the business, and he's going to be shocked later. And I want you to have the, the context of what's happening here. And all the other young men are there, and they're all guarding. They're, you know, they're, they're all ready. They've been working hard all night long. They're on guard. They're prepared to be robbed. This is something that happens all the time. And then this is the area where Naomi's like, this is where you're going to want to go approach him. This is where you're going to want to go talk to him. I find that, I find that fascinating. Now, now, let's talk about the spiritual for a moment, because we have a goel, right, a redeemer. We know that our Lord Jesus Christ is our redeemer. He brought us from death to life, dead in our trespasses and sins. He made us alive to God and made us all family members. He adopted us into his kingdom, gave us his robe, his righteousness, covered us in his blood. He made us perfect. You see, Ruth here has to prep herself so that she can go and talk to her Redeemer. Our Redeemer is so gracious, He comes and He anoints us with His Holy Spirit. He covers us with our best garment, His righteousness. We put on His righteousness. He cleanses us, Ephesians 5, with the water of the Word. He's the one that does the work, and He's the one that prepares us, and He's the one that brings us, His bride, to Him. He goes farther than Boaz, the man of strength. He is greater than that. And we see that when we want to have a relationship with the Lord, our Redeemer who is redeeming us, we're going to see that in a little bit, and we come to Him, we come to Him from a place of rest. He has freely given us these things. And we come to sit at His feet and to receive from Him, not the other way around. Let's flip it back, though, to the practical. When Naomi's having this conversation with Ruth, she's not having the conversation about Boaz. Who's she having the conversation with? Ruth, this is what you need to do. You need to get ready. You need to cleanse. You need to get dressed up. You need to get prepped. We've said this before. Practically speaking, if you are looking to be in a Christian relationship, if you've gotten out of a relationship, you want to get into a Christian relationship... It's not about finding the right person as much as it is being the right person. If you're not cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, if you're not wearing the garments of righteousness, if you're not in the water of the word, then you you spiritually stink. 
You're spiritually nasty. You got the work of the world all over you. Now, if you work hard for a living or been around people who do work hard for a living, I mean physically, because everyone hopefully works hard, but you come in from a day's labor, I tell you from my own personal experience, my wife would say to me, don't get anywhere near me. You stink. Go change your go take a shower and change your clothes. But we go out into the world and we got all the world's work all over us. We got all the world's stink on us and then we want to come to, the, to our future spouse or come into a relationship and we want to approach them and you wonder why they're, you're kind of repulsive. Like, no, you need to be close to the Lord. You need to become the right person, someone who's seeking after him, who wants to please him, who's clothed in his righteousness, who's in the word, washing themselves in the water of the word, getting transformed, getting changed, leaning on him. You know, when Naomi has good advice here for her, practically speaking, but it's great advice for us, spiritually speaking. But there's something that doesn't add up, something that's pretty cool. You know, Ruth knows exactly where Boaz is laying down, knows exactly where he's at. But if you go to where our Lord is laying, in Matthew 28, verse 6, he is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come and see the place where the Lord lay. The Lord doesn't lay at the threshing floor. The Lord isn't in the tomb. The Lord isn't there. He's at the right hand of the Father on high. He's alive. And so he comes to us. It's the other way around. We don't go to him. He comes to us. He makes himself available to us. He tore the veil to the temple in Hebrews so that it says, spiritually speaking, we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Not only did he close us, cleanse us, change us, anoint us, fill us with his Holy Spirit, give us his righteousness, he comes to us and makes himself available. Incredible. Our Redeemer. Remember what we said earlier? Remember how Naomi started off this conversation? Isn't it time for you to find security? Isn't it time for you to find shelter under the wing, under a husband? Isn't it time, Christian, for us to come and find security, shelter, peace, truth under our Goel, under our Redeemer? Now, listen, I'm, a, I'm an old-fashioned guy's guy here, silent type, strong, no weakness, no feelings. I don't want to be told that I'm somebody's bride. I don't want to be told that I go under somebody's wing of protection. I don't want to be told all those things unless it's Jesus because he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. I melt... I melt like my little four-year-old, five-year-old child when I talk about being with him, just under his wing of protection. So, so why then are we going to the world? Why then are we going to all these other things? Isn't it about time that we would seek shelter under him for our emotional well-being, our physical well-being, for our families, for our businesses, for our souls? We need to go seek and spend time at the feet of the master. Spend time sitting at his feet. We're going to come back to this later. I want to keep these threads open, and we'll keep pulling them and see where we go. But let's find out now. Ruth has said, I'm going to do all these things. Everything you just said, I'm going to do it, verses 6 through 9. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain And she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled, and turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. 
And he said, Who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. All right, now we're going to talk about culture again, right? We're going to talk about context. Because in our 21st century minds, when we hear about a young single lady sneaking in to go see a guy in the middle of the night, what are we thinking? (laughs) Nothing kosher, that's for sure. Nothing good. Now, remember, this is in public. There's other guys around. There's, not, there's nothing, no dirty business going on here, nothing sinful happening here. So what is she doing? This just seems so weird. If anybody's sneaking up to my, even when she grows up, if the Lord tarries, daughter's house, if my daughter's sneaking up to some guy's house to go sleep at her feet, his feet, we got a problem. We got a big problem. So what's happening here? What is going on? This is the weirdest proposal we've ever seen. First and foremost, remember, Boaz is there to protect the investment. He's not looking for this to happen. So when it says that he wakes up and he's startled, he's startled. I, in my mind, and in my imagination, envision him pulling for the dagger. Like, is it, is it happening right now? Who's sneaking in here? Now, I don't know that. I'm reading into the text. But she says, it is me. What does she say? Your maid servant. To uncover someone's feet is the lowest position of submission you can have. She is humbling herself before him as the lowest of the lowest servant. She is giving him the highest honor. I am willing to wash your feet. I am willing to unsandal your sandals, your your feet, your shoes here. We see that in the scripture, don't we? When Jesus washes the feet of the disciple, Peter says, no way, don't touch me. I should be washing you. And then Jesus says, I'm going to paraphrase now. You do what I tell you to do, Peter. And he says, okay, then give me a bath all the way from the top to the bottom then, if that's what you want. No, 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 just obey. And then what else do we see in the New Testament? When John the Baptist says, I am not worthy to touch his sandals when he sees Jesus. I'm not worthy to unlatch his sandals. I'm not worthy to tie them. He's saying, I am lower than the lowest of low, and I'm not even worthy to touch his lowest part. And that's what Ruth is doing here. She's submitting herself completely to whatever he wants to do, pulls the shoes off, and lays at the feet. Just so that we get the complete context, it's as if your dog is laying at the foot of your bed. That's the lowest possible position of humility that she can take on the opposite side of her feet. And it's still in Arab and Middle Eastern cultures today. If you remember um, back in 2003 at the invasion of Iraq, what did they do with the statues of Saddam? They took the sandals out and they were beating them with their shoes. It's the highest insult you could possibly have in that culture. A couple of years later, President Bush, he's there in a press conference. One of the One of the reporters, the Arab reporters, wants to show an ultimate insult. What does he do? He took his shoe off and threw it at him, and we saw that he had cat-like reflexes because he ducked it. America. So we see this precedent in that culture even to this day. And so there she is laying at his feet, completely submitting to him. Now, I'm going to take a sidetrack here, and we're going to come back. But I want to speak to our culture today. Ladies, we know that you are strong. We know that you are intelligent. We know that you can do anything. But if you're trying to have a husband, 
I recommend not bossing him around. I recommend not trying to take charge and be in control. That only works on TV. And just so we all know, TV is make-believe. TikTok, make-believe. YouTube videos, make-believe land. And if you want to get into a loving relationship with a Christ-honoring, Christ-loving man, stop treating him like he's your Ken doll. Stop treating him like he's a baby. Stop treating him like you're more intelligent than him. And once you train him upright, he'll be a good one. Stop it. The Bible tells us that the man is to be the head of the household. Stop treating him like he's your lapdog. If anything, you need to submit to him and see how he leads. Remember, Ruth and Boaz have been watching each other and watching each other's character as they work and serve together. That's going to come up here in a minute. I'm just prepping the primer there for this conversation. Are you willing to submit to this young man, for those of you that are dating older in life, this older man, are you willing to submit to them? Now, here's something that's a little more difficult. If you're a widow, male or female, and now you've been in a relationship with a man or a woman for decades, you knew that person more than you knew yourself, and then now you're going to get into a new relationship, and now you're going to submit to a new person or you're going to lead a new person, it's completely new. It's a new relationship. Don't bring up how your former spouse used to do things. Stop it. And don't ever, ever tell them that they used to do something better than they do it now. Don't do that. Especially if that person's still around and you, maybe you went through a divorce. Remember, we have a real word for real people with real problems. You know, we need to look at the family structure and we need to submit one to another in godly fear. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 5, speaking about the family. Submitting one to another as we submit to God. But there is an order on the way to do things. Now, speaking of out of order, what does Ruth say here going back to the text? Take your maidservant under your wing. You know what she just said? She just said, marry me. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The gal can't ask him to marry her. What's going on here? I'm going to tell you, in my relationship, I copped out. I said, hey, if I asked you to marry me, what would you say? Cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater, that's me. <laughs> Granted, I was like 17 years old at the time, so give me a, give me a break. 18, I don't remember, it's so long ago. So she asked him, hey, I want you to ask me to marry me. Take me under your wing. This is important because this is a symbol that is throughout all of the Bible. And the Lord uses it in his expression of love for the nation of Israel and for us. In Ezekiel 16, speaking of the nation of Israel, God says, When I passed by you again and I looked upon you, indeed your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you. And you became mine, says the Lord God. This is God speaking towards Israel. You've heard it said in, in Isaiah, on wings like eagles, covered in wings, protection. If you, if you look at an eagle's nest and you look at the, the babies eating there and you see the bird go over, it covers it with its wings. 
What is it saying? You have to hurt me first before you can hurt the children. And that is a type of our homes. We are to protect our spouses. We're to protect our children. We're supposed to protect our grandparents, our nieces, our nephews, our family. Is to circle the wagons, as we used to say in the United States, and protect each other. Ladies, practical word here. You go down to the salon and you start unloading and unleashing all that negativity about your family. You're just hurting your own flock. You're just hurting your own relationship. Guys, you're down at the watering hole or you're uh, real water. Uh, not the bar, boys. Don't stop it. But you're down at the, at the guys having a barbecue or you're at the workplace and you just start unloading all this stuff about your spouse and your kids. Not stop that, coward. You're the protector of your home. If there's a problem in your home, it's your fault to begin with. You are to bring shelter and protection. You are to protect your bride and your children. You are to be the priest, the spiritual leader of your home, or pastor, if you want to say there's only one great high priest. You are to be the provider for your home, and you are to be the protector of the home. Now, I know a great many men that is willing to fight someone who disrespects their bride in public, but are you willing to protect them with your words? Are you willing to protect them with your actions? Are you willing to deny yourself? Our Lord Jesus did for his bride, and he continues to do so. When Ruth comes to Boaz and says, come and cover me with your wing, that's what she's saying. All those implications And how do we come to our bride? Because we are the bride of the Christ, going back to him. He is our Goel. He's our protector. He does all those things for us. Everything that I just said, we should be doing with our own families, he does for his family. And what does he do? He washes us. He cleanses us. He anoints us. He protects us with his rod and his staff. He covers us. He chastens us in his love. And nothing can separate us from his love, no matter what trials and tribulations, because he's our great high priest our protector, and our provider. Now, what does Boaz say to this? Let's go back. What is he going to say here? This, this woman comes in the middle of the night, uncovers his feet, lays down like a dog, submits itself, and says, hey, I want to be under your wing. I want to be under your protection. That's kind of awkward. Verses 10 through 13 now. Then he said, blessed are you of the Lord my daughter. For you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, and that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now, it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night. And in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. Now, Boaz is surprised and happy that she has asked him. It is inferred from the scripture here that he is an older man. And it is inferred here that he's like, well... This, this young, attractive, Moabite woman would probably go with one of the other young men. Here's a secret. She would have. 
She would have. You remember earlier in the text, chapter 2? Naomi's like, no, 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 no. You do this right. Because, listen, there's no superheroes in the Bible. There's only human beings and Jesus. We won't put them in the same category. We are all people of like passions. We're all sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. We all need to hold ourselves accountable. We all need family that comes in and says, no, you're being dumb. Don't do that anymore. And then we have to be strong enough to receive criticism. And sometimes, sometimes the criticism is wrong. And we need to be tough enough to say, no, I'm going to do it anyway. Hopefully you're deferring to the scripture when you do that. Say, no, I respect your position in this house. I respect what you're telling me, but the Bible's telling me to do something else. I'm going to do that. The issue is that most of our families, we want to avoid all conversation entirely. We'd rather gossip about that person behind their back. We don't want to confront them with difficulty because we're chasing after feelings instead of facts. What do I see about Boaz here? He's been putting some thought into this. He already knows what to do. In fact, he already knows that that's not, he's not in the position to do that. So he tells her, I am so glad you didn't chase after those young men. And I'm thinking, Ruth's thinking in the back of her mind, I am so glad I didn't either. I am so glad that I didn't. I listened to Naomi. But Boaz also knows there is somebody in line, legally speaking, that can take this spot, that is rightfully allowed to take this spot. Why would somebody want to do that if they don't care about a person? Because when you become the redeemer, you redeem the property of that family. Whoever the redeemer is would get all of Elimelech's, Naomi's husband who passed away, property from the family to redeem it. And then his children would then perpetuate that family legacy after he passes away. So there's major financial gain, prestigious gain to marrying this Moabite woman to redeeming this household, this family. Notice again in this culture, the priority of the family over the individual is completely opposite of the United States of America. In the United States of America, we value the individual over the family. Prove it to me. All right, I will. If you take the public school, for example, and you come from a devout religious family, any religion you want, any religious one, we're going to pick fundamentalist Christian for obvious reason. And you put that child into public school and you say, I do not want my child to have conversations about gender confusion or homosexuality because in my family, we have a different perspective. They will say no. They will say no because they treat each person as an individual and they want to go straight to the individual to where there are many states right now that are having legal arguments over at what point do you have the parental rights versus the individual's rights. This conversation is not happening in communist China. Not a statement against communism as much, although I will have plenty of statements against it. They have a patriarchal system. Their entire society is based on the importance over the unit, over the individual. That's their entire culture. The culture here in the Old Testament is based on the family and the tribe's identity over the individual. Therefore, many times the spouses are chosen for you. What's better for the family as opposed to what's better for the individual? What's right or wrong? We have the grace of our Lord Jesus. You can pick. 
I would say, in my personal opinion, what does that mean? Take it or leave it. Half the time it's wrong, half the time it's right. The pendulum has swung too far to the individual. And for Christians, we should willfully, as individuals, choose to sacrifice some of our rights for the benefit of our family, especially adults with children. Our society says that if you are not happy, leave your family. Guys, if you're not happy, you don't love your wife anymore, just get a divorce. Do what's best for you. I would say absolutely not. That is not biblical. You chose to get married. You chose to have children. You stick with it until the end, until death do you part, period. Your feelings are not as important as these human beings that you're raising. Coming from a broken family, I can tell you the heartache that that causes. But our society says, oh, yeah, irreconcilable differences. Just go, go about your merry way. Everyone will work itself out. Finally, and then I'll get back on track, I personally believe that as we're having the Roe versus Wade discussion, when we talk about the right, quote-unquote, to abortions, we are saying the right to have sexual promiscuity without repercussions, valuing the individual over others. Not biblical. Life comes at conception. The Bible is very clear. In the womb, he knew us informed us and created us. His handiwork, his signature is in our DNA at conception. Non-negotiable. All right, so they have this discussion now. It's the middle of the night. They're back in the threshing floor, and Boaz tells Ruth to do something that is the most difficult thing that we could ever be told. I'm not sure how this is going to work out, Go home and do nothing. I'll take it from here. I know a lot of ladies that don't want to hear that, ever. I know some other ladies that are like, sweet, it's about time he did something around here. (laughs) Nevertheless, Boaz says, yes, I will marry you. I will take it from here. You guys get where we're going with this? Because we have a husband that we are the bride of. Our Lord says, I will take care of this. Go home. I'll take it from here. He has conquered sin, death, and the devil. It's done. It is completed. And Jesus says that he who the Son sets free is free indeed, and he tells us that we are to have joy in him. It's done. But we say, no, 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 no. I have to do something, otherwise it doesn't count. No, go home and be quiet. You have peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. Where does it come from? He gives it to you. He does the work. Where is our Lord Jesus right now? Right now, he is at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And what is he doing? Making intercession for his saints. He's doing the work because we're anointed with his righteousness, his Holy Spirit. We're covered in his blood. We're given the word of God. He has done the work. It is completed. He said it is finished. Now, he's done the work. We simply need to lay at his feet and rest and receive what he has done. When we confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and believe in our heart and are filled with the Holy Spirit as he gives us, our work is complete. We are continuing in that. And, and when we talk about this work, though, as it is completed, it makes it seem like, well, we don't have to do anything as Christians anymore. No, you have to continually, continually and actively rest in him. Doesn't that seem mutually exclusive? How can you 
actively rest? How can you be doing actively, consistently nothing? That's when the Bible talks about our salvation as we were saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. What do you mean by by that, Mike? What are you talking about? You're telling us that Jesus did everything, but you're telling he's continually doing it. You're just all over the place. I know, guys, but that's what the Scripture says. We continue to daily rest in him. We know we have been saved because in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, it says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God, all past tense. You see that? But then in 2 Corinthians, he says, for we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We're being saved. We're continually being saved. He's, he's continuing doing his redemptive work. Wait a minute. You just told me we have been saved. Yes, we have. And you just told me that we're being saved. Yeah, uh-huh. that's what I'm saying. And then, yes, he says that we are going to be saved in the future. In, in Romans chapter 5, much more than having now been justified by his blood, past tense, we shall be saved, future, from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Past, present, future tense, he is our redeemer. Boaz is the redeemer. He is going to redeem, and he is redeeming Ruth. We are saved. It is finished. It is completed. But the Lord is continually working in us, and he will future deliver us. Are the wheels spinning here? We have to remember that the Lord is outside of space and time. He sees all things past, present, and future at the same time. And our brains don't have the faculties to understand how that can be possible because we live in this dimension, these multi-dimensions, where height, width, breadth, and time are the dimension that we live in. He's outside of that. He can see all things at all times. He is all present. That means he's present at all times at the same time. If, you're, if you don't have smoke coming out of your ears yet, you're not listening or you fell asleep. What we're trying to do right now is try to take these brains as, as immaculately and miraculously as they were conceived, and we are trying to put them into a place where they can't go. Ultimately, what I get is this. Trust the Lord and continue to trust him daily. We have to come to his feet and lie down and submit to him. We must daily pick up the cross and follow after him. Romans 12.1 says that we are to become a living sacrifice day after day seeking after him. So yes, he has redeemed us in the past tense, but that doesn't mean he's not doing his work now and that he's not continuing to do his work, that we are in a relationship with God. All Ruth has to do is submit. All she has to do is stop. She's done her work. But I know that can be much harder for some of us to rest in the grace Peter talks about the grace of God more than anything else. <clears throat> and he says that we have all things that pertain to a life of godliness. All of it. We have everything. And it's in Christ, our Redeemer. So what's going to happen now? 
Well, Boaz is going to take off, and we're going to see him in the next chapter, but now Ruth is going to go home. And who's sitting there at the window waiting for Ruth to come home and to report? Well, let's find out. Yeah, you're right. Verses 14 through 18. Make sure I'm in the right chapter here. There we go. I said verse 14. Okay, so she lay at his feet until morning, and she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said, do not let it be known that the women came to the threshing floor. Also, he said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, These six ephahs of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, Do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then he said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. Naomi is so smart. Once she, hears the, once she sees the barley, and once she hears that he accepted it, she's like, just chill. He's not going to, he's going to handle this now. He's in. <clears throat> how does she know that? I don't know. We're going to have to ask him. We're going to have to ask her how she knew that. Did she have like some gossip? Did she hear that Boaz? Did she, she's I don't know. Mother's intuition, I guess. But that being said, chill, Ruth. This is going to happen now. He's not going to rest. But we don't know. We don't know except for Scripture telling us how this is going to happen if we leave right here. Maybe the other guy wants the money. How is Boaz going to handle this? At the end of the day, when it comes to a relationship, you have to be able to trust your spouse. You have to be able to trust your spouse. You have to be able to trust your husband. You have to be able to trust your wife. Trust them with your children. Trust them with your finances. Trust them that they're going to go out there and do their best for the family. You have to work together as a family unit. And there's nothing harder than sitting there wondering, I hope he's doing a good job. I hope she's doing a good job. I hope she's doing it. I hope he's doing it. If you turn that on its head, though, and you think, the Lord continues to use us, his church, to represent him to the world. And he sits at the right hand of the Father on high. But we know that we can do nothing apart from him. He's working in us. But we have to submit to him as he is doing that work, actively doing that work in us. And also, we have to trust him and be still and sit and rest in the work that he is doing. Ultimately, it comes down to this single moment, if you know it's coming, when you see your death coming close, do you trust him to lead you to the other side? That's the ultimate question. And the hardest part is we are told to rest in him. Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. As a a type A, high D, active, I'm going to make this happen. Watch me make this happen. Oh, you think I can't do this? Watch me, I'm going to do it anyway. Kind of person. There's nothing harder than being told by the Lord, be still. Stop. I will do this. I got this. And I can tell you, spiritually speaking, the only things that have good that have ever happened, like in this fellowship or in the church plant or walking by faith, have been when I stopped and I let him do the work. 
if I stop trying to take the mantle, if I stop trying to make things happen on my own. Ultimately, when it comes to our spiritual walk with him, our relationships with him, our families, all those things, are you sitting at his feet? Are you resting in his feet? Or are you trying to do it yourself? Are you trying to build what cannot be built? Or take down what cannot be taken down? Do you trust your Redeemer to redeem, to continue to redeem, and yet redeem you in the future? I say if you're trusting Jesus, you put your trust in the right place. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful story. And we pray that you would continue to lead and direct us, Lord. You you know how fickle we are, how weak we are, how emotional we can be, Lord. And yet we don't know a a fraction of what we know. Help us to trust in your promises. Help us to rest in you. Help us to walk in your anointing, to walk in your covering, Lord, and your cleansing, to, to be in your word and to continue to grow closer to you. Have your way in us. Have your, have your way in your bride. And help us to represent you well to the world. I pray for those that are hurting in relationships or those that are seeking uh, for relationships. They want godly relationships, Lord. I pray that through your spirit you administer to them now to trust you and to lean after you and to follow your word and your instructions. And also to resist the flesh and the temptations of the flesh. We are all weak, Lord. You know us. I pray you prosper and you direct those. And we pray, Lord, for us as a body as we go out this week that you would use us to magnify your name, to represent you well to the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you need prayer, come on up. We'd love to pray with you, share stories with you. God bless you.